0: Hi everyone, I'm Anya Parampil and you're watching Red Lines. My guest today is my colleague here at the Gray Zone, Ben Norton. His latest article details how a document exposes a new U.S. plot to overthrow Nicaragua's elected socialist government. Welcome to Red Lines, Ben.
1: Thanks for having me, Anya, and I I like the new setup.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much. I wanted to start by asking you what exactly this document reveal and how did it come to light?
1: Absolutely. First of all, we need to understand that this is the latest coup attempt in a series of coup attempts targeting Nicaragua's elected government. Now we have to ask, why is the US government so interested in overthrowing the government here? That's because the Nicaraguan government is being led by the Sandinista Front for national liberation. This is a leftist, a socialist group that helped lead in the 1970s, a guerrilla war to overthrow a right-wing dictatorship backed by the US. It was essentially a kind of puppet colonial regime. And then the Sandinista Front had a socialist revolution. And to cut a long story short, it lost power through an election in 1990. And then it kind of changed a bit. Although it's still a socialist party, it's still anti-imperialist. And in 2006, the Sandinista Front regained power in Nicaragua through democratic elections. So for the past 13 years, it has won a series of elections. It, it is a democratic party. It's actually an actually existing example of what this popular term in the U.S. democratic socialism is, right? And the Sandinista Front also is closely allied to venezuela where of course you anya have covered a lot of the u.s coup attempts there it's nicaragua was a close ally of cuba it, it works a lot with other the troika of tyranny,
0: exactly john and john bolton
1: it. the the war criminal former u.s national security advisor claimed that nicaragua was part of the troika of tyranny so there there has been a series of coup attempts also unlike Venezuela, which has the largest oil reserves in the world, Nicaragua doesn't have a lot of natural resources, but it does have a very important geostrategic location. And this brings us to today. For 200 years, the U.S. government and Corporate oligarchs like the, the famous robber baron, Cornelius Vanderbilt, they've been trying to build a canal through Nicaragua. Eventually, the US government created the Panama Canal. But recently, in the past 10 years or so, there have been new attempts by the Nicaraguan government to build a canal with a Chinese company. And this led, among other factors, this led to a brutally violent coup attempt in 2018 in which the U.S. government backed a lot of these right-wing, frankly, terrorist groups. And we can talk more about that later. But they, unsuccessfully, they were unsuccessful in that attempt to try to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. So, of course, after that coup attempt, they resorted to other tactics. And this brings us to today, where the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, which claims to be the humanitarian arm of the U.S. government, it has been overseeing a soft coup attempt here in Nicaragua, trying to essentially carry out the same effect as the 2018 violent coup, but by other means. And how do we know about this document? Well, the document was posted online. Now, why was the document posted online? Because in late July, toward the end of the month, the U.S. government has an organization, there's a a bunch of these groups, they all have different acronyms, so I don't want to overwhelm people with names here, but there's another U.S. government-backed agency which is called Democracy International. And all these groups, it's like alphabet soup, right? You just take Democracy, International, National, Transition, Agency, Development, and you just throw them all together and you can get the kind of alphabet soup. But Democracy International, is essentially an arm of USAID and the State Department. And it essentially says that it promotes democracy, but it advances US foreign policy interests and targets foreign countries for regime change. So Democracy International posted a job listing on LinkedIn. And what's funny is I say in the piece that back in during the Cold War, the kind, these kinds of jobs would be covert jobs done by the CIA, and the CIA might you know a CIA agent might have a, a suitcase full of money and, and give it to the, their secret operative in Nicaragua or whatever. Well, these days, they just they openly advertise these CIA front positions on LinkedIn. And the position was for a someone to oversee what they call transition in Nicaragua. The official name is a senior technical expert in democracy, human rights, and governance in Managua, Nicaragua. And they specifically wanted a Nicaragua national. So we can talk more about that, but that's really the larger context for what's happening here is that on openly on LinkedIn, this US government funded agency has been trying to recruit Local Nicaraguan nationals from the right-wing opposition to help oversee a regime change operation that they refer to as a peaceful transition.
0: And not to add to the alphabet soup, but the specific program is Rain. Correct? What does that stand for, and what does the job entail?
1: Absolutely, Rain is it's You know, what's funny is that these acronyms are sometimes also very redundant. It's Nicaragua's Responsive Assistance in Nicaragua. So in case you didn't get Nicaragua the first time, but it's a task order, that's what they refer to it as. And they say, this is on LinkedIn, they say the purpose of the task order is, quote, to provide rapid, responsive, and relevant analytical and technical assistance that bridge USAID Nicaragua's efforts to create the conditions for and support a peaceful transition to democracy in Nicaragua. So, you know, cutting through all the the PR speak there, what they're they're saying is they want a technical liaison on the ground who can help give intelligence to the U.S. government and work with USAID and help bridge the right-wing opposition to them to help carry out a regime change operation to overthrow the Sandinista government. And this job listing on LinkedIn was accompanied by that USAID document. So what first happened is at the end of July, here in Nicaragua, some local pro Sandinista media outlets were publishing articles based on, in Spanish, based on this document. And at first I saw it and it looked very realistic, of course, but I wasn't entirely sure if it was real. So then I started looking into the, the language used in this document. Specifically, I looked up the Responsive Assistance in Nicaragua program and I immediately found that job posting from LinkedIn, which confirmed that this is absolutely a real document. They use the same verbatim cookie-cutter language, and the document spells out very explicitly the plan for the U.S. coup operation in Nicaragua, and it also states its mission goals, which are very revealing, because the f- the most important mission goal, which is economics, uh, according to the USA, USAID document, they, they say that that would include as part of the the primary goal, that would include transition to a rules-based market economy based on the protection of private property rights. So in in case it wasn't clear enough, they want to overthrow the democratically elected socialist government, which apparently doesn't you know, it doesn't ensure protection of private property rights to them. And they want to install a neoliberal regime that will privatize state assets. And we can talk more about their other plans. But what's what's so wild is that, I mean, it's hidden with all this PR speak. But behind the PR jargon and euphemisms like transition, this is a pretty bald-faced plan for a, a coup.
0: Absolutely. The document calls for the prosecution of Sandinista leaders and what would essentially amount to the purging of Sandinista loyalists from the military and the police. As someone who's in Nicaragua right now, how dangerous do you believe the implications of such a policy could be?
1: Oh, it's it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, this would be very dangerous. But we see a very similar strategy that was successful in Bolivia. And what we see right now in Bolivia with a fascist coup junta that is hunting down leftists that exiled and imprisoned the former politicians who were elected from the movement towards socialism party, that's the plan they have in mind for Nicaragua. And and if, if they were able to have a successful regime change operation, they would carry out the same kind of purge that we see. In, w- in which the Bolivian junta is in some cases actually literally hunting down some of these leftist activists in the, in the case of Nicaragua, that we saw those same tactics also employed in the 2018 coup attempt. And I can talk more about those violent tactics later, but what's what's incredible about this this USAID document is, as you mentioned, Anya, it calls for essentially a purge of sandinista elements and and what's so wild is that they they say it. Openly, they say they want to, quote, rebuild institutions and, quote, reestablish independent and professional security forces. So what they're saying is they want to abolish the military and police, just like the U.S. government did in Iraq, right? After the U.S. government invaded Iraq, they had a de program in which anyone who was affiliated with the Baathist Party, which was a, an Arab socialist party that governed Iraq, anyone who was affiliated, which were all the technocrats in the government and, and, you know, anyone with a significant role in the government, they were all purged and not allowed to participate in the new neoliberal state that the U.S. was constructing. And the U.S. wants to recreate that strategy here in Nicaragua, purging all of the Sandinistas. And not only purging them because there's something else you acknowledged Anya which is the element of lawfare and lawfare is a new term that we've seen used especially in Brazil recently with the coup there lawfare is a term being used by the US government and European governments these regime change institutions against Syria they're trying to use forms of legal warfare they call lawfare and in the document they, 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 they use a specific term which really caught my ear USAID USAID says that they want to, they say, the new coup regime, after overthrowing the Sandinistas, quote, will need to implement transitional justice measures. Now, transitional justice is a term that we actually, my, my our colleague, Max Blumenthal and I, we wrote an article about this at the Gray Zone, about the strategy for transitional justice in Syria. What does that mean? It means that the Western governments are going to use legal institutions to essentially carry out regime change because the regime change war didn't work. So they're going to resort to all of these frivolous lawsuits and lawsuits ba- based on accusations that they can't prove except for intelligence from the opposition and from intelligence agencies. So they're using that same strategy and they wanna use that to go after the Nicaraguan government, the Sandinistas. So it, it's, it, it's an example here of how all of the regime change tactics that the US has used on Iraq, Libya, Syria, Venezuela, they're, they're combining, in Bolivia, in, in the most horrific recent case of, of a successful regime change operation, the U.S. is taking all of those same tactics, they're taking what worked and what didn't work, and, and they're learning from those horrific scenarios and then trying to recreate them here in Nicaragua.
0: You mentioned this already, but I, I, I would like to hear you explain a little bit more of, about how right-wing extremists targeted the Sandinista movement on the grassroots level during the failed U.S. back coup in 2018,
1: the 2018 coup attempt is really, for Nicaraguans, it is a horrifying experience just to even recall. And you know, I have a lot of friends here who are part of what's called the the Sandinista Youth, the Juventud Sandinista, and this is like the grassroots movement that is the kind of lifeblood of the Sandinista movement. Similarly in Venezuela, where there's a lot of Chavista youth activists who work at the grassroots level, here in Nicaragua, it's the young activists who organize in different networks. So there there are the people who work in the barrios, there are the people who work on healthcare, there are the people who work on social media, there are the people who work in the media. They they work in different sectors together. There's even a sports section of Sandinista youth who who organize different, you know, community branches. And I, I'm friends with a lot of these people who are mostly under 35. And, and they talk about what happened in 2018. With te- I've seen people break out in tears. It's just such a traumatic experience because they were hunted down similar to the tactics I mentioned in the Bolivian coup regime, where there are these right-wing death squads, and these, they're not even just death squads, they're just violent gangs, who, some of them are not even ideological, they're being paid by U.S. intelligence agencies, by NGOs that are funded by the U.S., by other foreign governments from Europe, um, Canada, and and they're also just getting money from right-wing oligarchs here in the country who have a vested interest in overthrowing this socialist government and they they just find these nihilistic drug dealers and criminals who just you know they have fun torturing and killing people and that's exactly what they did and and it's so wild to me because i have interviewed people grown men who are crying when I'm interviewing them and they're talking about the experience. I interviewed a Sandinista activist in his early 30s whose brother and then his father were both murdered by these right-wing death squads during the coup attempt. And not only that, his brother and his father were murdered and then their bodies were set on fire and then the the coup mongers threw those bodies in a garbage can. So. He found the, bo- the charred bodies of his brother and his father in a garbage dump. I mean, it, we're talking about it, total inhumanity. I know Sandinista friends who, they had their houses marked. The, the right-wing death squads backed by the U.S. and the right-wing oligarchs, they would go around to neighborhoods, to the, to the homes of Sandinista activists, and mark them, saying that we're, we're coming after you next. There were some Sandinista activists who had their houses burned down. And then the corporate media blamed those those burning the burning of the houses on the Sandinista government. Why would the Sandinista government burn down the houses of its own poor supporters? It's it's a it's insane. But that that is what makes me so angry about the narrative about the 2018 coup attempt, is that the international corporate media, the New York Times, The Guardian, the Washington Post, the right-wing oligarch-controlled media in Latin America, Spanish language media, they uniformly portrayed this violent terrorist coup attempt in which Sandinista activists and their family members were tortured and killed, in which police officers that that were trying to protect their communities from this terrorism, police officers were also killed. And and I didn't even mention that similar to the tactics used in Venezuela, these right-wing frankly terror groups were were carrying out, they were creating barricades that they called tranques, which this is a, a CIA destabilization tactic that's based on the same tactics used in Venezuela, what were called guarimbas. They recreated them here in Nicaragua. They shut down the entire country, or or the large cities at least, and what what they would do is they would have these these tranques, these barricades that were the kind of chokeholds in, in the main arteries of Managua, the capital and other cities. So people couldn't drive, which prevented food from going around the country, which caused an economic crisis, which caused the, the economy to contract. And there's just so many problems that this caused. And what's so, what makes me so angry is to see all of these corporate media outlets portray the violent coup attempt as a progressive uprising against what they called a dictatorship. And and not only the corporate media outlets, but the most frustrating thing of all is seeing a lot of people who claim to be on the left, people who call themselves socialists, Trotskyites, even anarchists and others, they, they demonize the, the Nicaraguan government as they demonize the Venezuelan government during the coup attempts in 2014, 2017, and last year and this year. And similarly, in 2018, There were so many people who claimed to be on the left who bought into this propaganda campaign and portrayed it as a new revolution, even though it was objectively a right wing coup attempt. It's absolutely insane. And when you talk to working class, poor Sandinista activists here on the ground, you just see how how insane that narrative is.
0: Yeah, it really it says a lot i think about people here when they when they can't grasp the level of terror people were really put through in, in nicaragua and if this is what happened when the coup failed we can only imagine that if this program we're discussing now were to be successful the level of suffering and uh, danger vast amounts of the population in nicaragua would face if the right wing were to take over Ben, we constantly hear from U.S. media and the State Department that U.S. policy in Nicaragua seeks to restore democracy. This document, as you say, constantly refers to a transition occurring in Nicaragua, but doesn't necessarily envision that transition to come as a result of democratic elections, does it?
1: That's absolutely right, Anya. This USAID document spells out three different scenarios that the US government sees for potential regime change in Nicaragua. Of course, they say they want a peaceful transition, but Washington always says that. They said that in the, the famous Pinochet coup the CIA backed in, in Chile in 1973. They said that in Venezuela. They always say they want a peaceful transition. It's, it's euf- a euphemism. They actually don't really care. It, uh, So there's three scenarios that USAID spells out. The first they call the, quote, orderly transition scenario. This is the one where the Sandinista Front leaves power peacefully without complaining, and they say that that could be the Sandinista Front losing power in the election. And by the way, they they do briefly acknowledge, this is a 14-page document, they briefly acknowledge that there is a possibility that the Sandinista Front could lose the election because they are free and fair elections. But, of course, that's not the the likely scenario, because the document also acknowledges that that the right-wing opposition is extremely unpopular and very divided. So then there's the second scenario. This is called the sudden unanticipated transition. This is the coup scenario. And and I'm going to read exactly what USAID wrote, because it's, it's very instructive. The sudden unanticipated transition can be In which one or more political crises, such as a snap or failed election, a presidential resignation, a major health crisis, a major natural disaster, or internal conflicts, lead to sudden regime crisis and transition, either to an interim government or a new government. So, there's a few scenarios there. One is presidential resignation, which is the Bolivia model, in which the military forces the elected government, the elected president, to resign. Now, that's a very unlikely scenario here in Nicaragua because, unlike in Bolivia, where Evo Morales never really had significant influence in the military. Evo Morales came from the poor indigenous community in the countryside, and that represents the majority of the population, but the military is still largely controlled by the descendants of European elites. In Nicaragua, it's different. Which is why USAID said in the document that they want to recreate the military, because the military in Nicaragua was recreated after the Sandinista Revolution, because before that, it was a military dictatorship ruled by the Somoza regime. Somoza was trained by the US government at the US Army School of the Americas, and he ruled with an iron fist, massacring protesters, disappearing, and torturing protesters here in Nicaragua. So then, after the Sandinista Revolution, the Sandinista Front. Helped create a new popular military rooted in in the grassroots, and that's still the military today. So there's it's very unlikely that there will be a military coup. So so that's not a likely scenario. Then the they, USAID says there's the possibility of internal conflict, or a major natural disaster, or a lead to sudden sudden regime crisis. So. You know, natural, natural disaster, who knows, it could be an earthquake or something, but that's not as likely. Internal conflicts is the most important phrase there. Internal conflict would be a coup, similar to the 2018 violent coup attempt. So th- that's the other, that's the coup option. And then finally, the third option that USAID lays out is the delayed transition scenario. And th- that's a scenario in which they say, well, the coup failed, that was option two. Option one didn't work out losing the election. So the delayed transition scenario is a scenario in which the Sandinista government wins the free and fair election in, in late 20, 2021. And then the US government, USAID says that, well, if the Sandinista government stays in power, we're still going to continue to try to work toward a transition in the future. So they acknowledge that even if the Sandinistas freely, wear the, freely win the election and the coup attempt fails, they're still going to try to destabilize the democratically elected government.
0: It's interesting, Ben, because that scenario also reminds me of what happened in Bolivia. There was a military takeover, but Evo Morales did also win a democratic election. It's just that the Organization of American States, the U.S. government, international media acted quickly to invalidate that vote. And it also sounds a bit like the failed election scenario they outline because it it it's a question of who's declaring the elections to be free, fair, free and fair or failed. The U.S. has already, for example, declared that Venezuela's upcoming parliamentary elections in December are going to be rigged, even though they haven't even happened yet. So it, it it's interesting because it places countries such as Nicaragua such as Venezuela, in a position where it's almost as though they're damned if they hold elections and damned if they don't. And, and holding elections could even place them in a very dangerous position if these international institutions decide to use it as an opportunity to destabilize the country.
1: That's exactly right. We've seen this repeated so many times. And, and in the case of Bolivia, of course, the institution that played the leading role in, the, in delegitimizing the free and fair election was the Organization of American States, the OAS. And Anya, you've reported extensively on how the OAS is, I mean, it's a puppet of the U.S. I, it's it's just gotten so absurd to, this, to such a point where now there are protests going on in Bolivia to, to have an actual democratic election because the coup regime has delayed the election 3 times now and there are protests going on across the country for an election and the OAS's response was oh the protests are bad they're they're destabilizing the country we, no more protests the, the coup regime just 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 believe it have faith in it they'll they'll eventually have an election and also the OAS Luis Almagro recently met with the representative of the right-wing dictatorship in Haiti, which is being ruled by decree right now. The, the president, Moïse, he, he, he is not elected in any way. He, I mean, he had been in the past, but he overstayed his term, and he's ruling by decree. It's a dictatorship. Of course, the OAS is supporting that dictatorship because it's a puppet dictatorship of Washington and, and Europe. So... It, it, or the there's OAS Honduras, is, is another total- country
0: where we've spent time together, where it, the, it really lifts the mask off U.S. policy in the region. Someone, uh, uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez, the president, serving an constitutionally invalid second term and was repressing demonstrations. And the OAS was completely silent about that, not to mention his ties to narco trafficking uh, rings and, and drug dealers including his own brother who was convicted in the United States of running drugs and guns. But it's just no one can with a straight face say that the OAS or the United States is really concerned about democracy here.
1: That's absolutely right. And what's so striking is the scenario you laid out, Anya, it's very clear that that's what the U.S. and the OAS OAS are planning for here in Nicaragua. The election is coming up in in about a year and a half toward the end uh, toward the end of 2021. And what's incredible is that the OAS has already hinted that it's not going to recognize the election as legitimate. Just as Elliot Abrams, who who now, by the way, the, the war criminal who oversaw Iran Contra, is is now the new Trump administration coordinator of the Iran regime change policy, and apparently one of his his more recent skills that he gained is is he's a soothsayer who can tell the future, because he predicted that the, the December election, National Assembly election of Venezuela, he already knows he he could just see that it's it's going to be fraudulent. And similarly, the OAS has said that they they already know that the Nicaraguan election is supposedly going to be fraudulent. And the OAS has hinted that they're going to appeal to the OAS charter to to, to try to request international intervention in Nicaragua, which would of course be by the US military. And also they're trying to expel Nicaragua from the Organization of American States. And, of course, the U.S. has been imposing many rounds of sanctions to try to hurt the Nicaraguan economy. The irony is that even right-wing opposition polling firms, uh, there's a polling firm in in Nicaragua that's very closely linked to the opposition. Even they acknowledge that the opposition has almost non-existent support. We're talking single-digit percentage support points. It's, it's, It's laughable.
0: Part of your article focuses, Ben, on USAID's role in furthering U.S. regime change projects in Latin America. Who exactly is the agency's newest director, John Barsa?
1: John Barsa is really, once again, removing the mask from these institutions. We were were talking about how these so-called democracy promotion vehicles of the U.S. government— We've known for decades, since many of them were created toward the end of the Cold War as CIA cutouts by the Ronald Reagan administration, we've known that they they have essentially been tools of regime change. But under Trump, I mean, it's incredible how blatant, how brazen they're being. USAID, for instance, in the 2019 in the series of coup attempts against Nicar- against Venezuela's elected government we saw for instance when Anya when you and I and our colleague Max Blumenthal when we were in Venezuela, reporting on the ground, there there was the the infamous February coup attempt on February 23rd, in which USAID tried to ram through supposed humanitarian aid across the Venezuelan border. So take take our aid, you you need our take with it, we're going to force it down your throat <laughs> with and and with the help of right wing gangs these violent hoodlums, and they of course set the aid on fire and then blamed it on Venezuela, thanks to the help of the media and Marco Rubio, Narco Rubio, I'm sorry. And, but anyway, the point is that USAID, they, they even posted things on their website, and on the Department of Defense website, acknowledging that USAID was working directly with the US military in organizing that, that, that coup attempt against Venezuela. You can find that on their own official government websites. USAID has also under Trump played a role bankrolling using aid money that ironically was supposed to be used for Central America aid. Uh, of course, it it wasn't really aid. What they were going to use is they were going to use the money to help move Central American immigrants from Central America and refugees back into Central America because, of course, the US, you know, the Republicans don't want them in the US. So. The, Trump took that aid money, supposed aid money from USAID and then sent it toward funding the coup regime of Juan Guaidó and we also have seen that that Mike Pence was working with USAID. He was physically present on the Colombian border. So USAID has been a regime change vehicle. But what happened is that Trump got very angry because the coup attempts were failing again and again and again in Venezuela. So Mark Green was the former director he was replaced and Trump brought in the most right-wing pathologically ideologically motivated regime changer named John Barsa John Barsa is a huge Trump fan i mean his only real qualification is that he's he loves Trump and his dedicated his political creator Trump and this is a right-wing republican businessman who, who ran for office as a Republican, and his family, he, he comes from Miami, Florida, and his family are some of the descendants of the elite right-winger anti-communists who, who left Cuba because of the Cuban Revolution. And he is a die-hard regime-changer who has dedicated his entire life and political career to overthrowing the Cuban government and, of course, the Venezuelan and Nicaraguan governments. This is the guy who's now overseeing USAID. He also works directly, he works closely with with the victims of communism, the Memorial Foundation, which is another just far-right, right-wing lobby group. I mean, they're just laughable. So this is the kind of person that the Trump administration picked to lead the so-called Agency for International Development. And all I gotta say is, look, at least they're being honest at this point. They're no longer pretending, like Obama did, that they're supporting democracy and humanitarianism. I mean, they're they're using so-called aid money to just blatantly bankroll coup attempts.
0: It's certainly a theme with the Trump administration that the mask is lifted on many of these regime change projects. And having Elliot Abrams in the position that he is now also, it just couldn't be any more clear. It's almost... You couldn't write it in a, in a satire novel; it just would be almost too obvious. But here we are living in that reality. Finally- well, yeah, Anya,
1: if if I told you just in 2016, I would never have believed that 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 Trump would bring back. All of the Reagan era zombies, these these horrible war criminals who oversaw the Iran Contra scandal, to oversee the same policies in Latin America, I would be like, no, that would be too on the nose. At least they would try to get some other gargoyles who have the same views and the same, you know, and the lack of the the, the equal lack of respect for human rights and democracy. At, at least they would get someone else. But no, these are the same. You know, ossified mummies who were who in the 1980s oversaw the same death squad policies. It's insane.
0: At least it's all out on the table. Finally, Ben, you've been living in Nicaragua for several, several months now. What has been the reaction in the country to this news of the document and the plan for regime change?
1: Well, I, I mean, I can't pretend that people are that surprised. They're used to it at this point. And we should keep in mind that. You know, Nicaragua is a very small country. There's only around 6 million people. And it's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere after Haiti. Although it's not clear. I mean, you can't tell that from the country because... Anya, you and I have been to Honduras. I've been throughout many other parts of Latin America and the poverty you see in other parts of Latin America is brutal. And, and in Nicaragua that's not nearly as clear because it's it's the fourth most equal country in Latin America. It it has the second highest level of state ownership of the economy, which is which is just over half of the GDP come from state-owned enterprises. So they they have a lot of policies to help maintain fair distribution, so it's not clear, but it's still a very poor country, and even though it's poor, and even though it's so tiny, people are, they're so used to foreign intervention mostly by the U.S., and they always refer to the U.S. as El Imperio, the empire. You hear that all the time. People say El Imperio more than they say Estados Unidos, because to them, that's what it is. It's the empire. It's hanging over their head like a sword of Damocles to the north. And they're so used to it going back, not just to the Sandinista revolution in 1979, not just to the Contra terrorist war in the 1980s in which the CIA armed and helped create fascist death squads that tortured people, that cut people's, you know, just mutilated them, cutting their tongues out, raping women. I mean, just horrible attack. They they put mines in the harbor, which is an international crime. It's a war crime and they committed so many crimes in the 80s but honestly the us torture of nicaragua goes back even further to the 1800s when i mentioned that the us government and corporate oligarchs were trying to build a canal through the country the, the, the most insane historical symbol of this it, it's really an uncanny echo we mentioned honduras earlier honduras had in 2009 there was a military coup backed by the US to overthrow the elected government of Jose Manuel Zelaya. Well, there was another Jose Zelaya who was the democratically elected president of Nicaragua in 1909, exactly 100 years before the U.S. US military intervened in Nicaragua to overthrow the other Jose Salaya in Nicaragua who was the progressive nationalist president. This was before the Bolshevik Revolution so socialism wasn't as big but he was a progressive nationalist who tried to unify Central America and build his own canal and the U.S. military intervened in 1909 and overthrew him and then there was a series of U.S. military interventions and a U.S. military occupation up until the 1930s. And what happened? Nicaragua had a revolutionary anti-imperialist general named Augusto Sandino who created a grassroots army a grassroots guerrilla army to wage a protracted people's war against the U.S. colonial occupiers. And he expelled the U.S. military occupiers. So Augusto Sandino, his name is, he's the, the founding father of modern Nicaragua. He's beloved by all of Nicaraguans, at least the ones who don't, aren't traitors who work for the U.S. And Sandino is, of course, the, the leader that the Sandinista Front is named after. So... Anti-imperialism, opposition to U.S. intervention really goes to the core of not just Nicaraguan politics, but of Nicaraguan culture, of the Nicaraguan national identity. So unfortunately, a- another coup attempt for them is just more of the same. But, but it, it, there, there's definitely a revolutionary core in Nicaraguan culture where people, even though they're not surprised, they're always going to resist Foreign intervention in their country, and they're always going to fight for their sovereignty.
0: what you've just described is a revolutionary resilience, I believe, which which it's hopeful to hear, especially considering so much of the bad news we've seen out of Latin America recently, especially in Bolivia, that the people of Nicaragua they'll hold on they'll resist and Ben, I just really appreciate you joining me to to discuss this piece, this investigation you did. And I know all of our viewers here are already familiar with your work and they'll continue to check you out at The Gray Zone. So take care and I hope to talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Anya.